Hello, hello, and welcome to Health Healing and Hampton Roads. I'm Dr. Felicia Mebbin, Executive Director of the Center for Public Health Initiatives at Norfolk State University and some other things. And I am super excited to have my friend and colleague here with us today, Dr. Joanne Elena. Hi, Joanne. Hello, Felicia. Dr. Elena, so we're going to be official. Sorry. Do- hello, Dr. Mebbin. Okay. So nice to go. see you. Okay. We have that out of the way. <laughs> Felicia, Joanne. Joanne. Yes. Thank you. So part of the reason I'm so excited is because we do have a long history. So how did we meet? We met when I was a doctoral student at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and you were a dean there. But um, not, I mean, lots yeah, a of very, deans. Very, very young dean. Very just to young, put it in context. beautiful, smart, <laughs> funny. No, but seriously, not every administrator, not every dean takes the time to get to know people. And my office was sort of catty corner from your office. Physically, right. Physically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you would just be nice to me in the hall. And it was nice to see like a strong female example of where we could go, you know, as a student. As a doctoral student. Oh, Mm -hmm. that is so nice. I never thought about that. But thank you for saying that. It's so true. That's thank you. And and I mean, it's very interesting because I was an assistant dean just for folks to know. Not the I would say I wasn't the dean dean. I was an assistant (laughs) dean. (laughs) Um, But it is important for people to to have a variety of people around so that they can connect with them and then see, oh, okay, this is what I can do. It's one of the options. It leaves doors open because you can picture it because you see someone there. Exactly. And I think um, you never know who you're making an impression on. That's true. Yeah, that's exactly true. Yeah, and I learned that. So in that role, I was actually a dean of students, but not in the traditional sense on a main campus, right? So it wasn't social activities. The School of Public Health at that time had over 1,700 students. The large majority were graduate students and then postdocs like yourself. Mm -hmm. And so it really was about helping to build students as they were pursuing their professional careers. So they were there to either switch gears or take their careers to the next level. And so that's what my office did. So it helped students in that capacity. Right. And actually, I was just a doctoral student. And so I wasn't a postdoc oh, but, yet. Po- right, right, exactly. Exactly. But, yeah. So even better, because I was better. there for you. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so tell us about your training. One of the um, purposes of the show, actually, is that, in a very similar vein to that, right, is yep. to introduce people to different careers and to help people to understand who in the area um, is engaged around public health and health, and then, who, you know, how do they get there? What kind of training do they need? So tell us about your sure. training. Um, well, I think I want to fast forward to what I'm doing now so that I can tell you about my stumbles getting to where I am. Okay, so go spoiler for it. alert, I turned out just fine. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're stumbling, um, you know, there's a path for you. So I am the scientific director for clinical and cancer control for the American Cancer Society right now. And what that means is I oversee all research and human populations that the American Cancer Society funds. So I'm on the granting side of things, so we give out money. So if we give Norfolk State money to do cancer research, Sounds I'm like checking. a great idea. <laughs> no commitments. <laughs> I haven't signed anything. She's a professional. <laughs> cannot catch her. <laughs> but if we did that, then I would be checking in with the 
um, professors who are doing the work, making sure you're on time, making sure it fits our overarching um, priorities. Right. Or the agreement, also yes, the specific agreement. That the right. aims of the study are right. completed. So that's what I spend my time doing. And before that, I was at the National Cancer Institute, which is part of the National Institutes of Health, for 16 years as a program director for the Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences. So I, I'm fine. I did okay. I got where I needed to go. So how I got here was I was a biology undergrad major. A at, lot of us were. Right. Who ended up in public health. <laughs> right, exactly. And I always thought that I probably wanted to be a doctor. And I got to the end of senior year, and I didn't think my grades were quite ready for to go straight to medical school. And I didn't really know. And I also thought four years in school, I would be 26 when oh, I finished. The horror. Right? <laughs> no, just kidding. I thought, oh my gosh, my best years of my life will be spent in medical school. And so I was kind of regrouping and I met somebody after graduation that said they were a scientific consultant. And I was like, what does that even mean? So I moved to DC. I applied for some jobs, moved to DC. Oh, I moved to DC without a job. Um, my <laughs> My dear friend and I both did not have jobs. She made me move wow. from Virginia Beach mm -hmm. to D.C. Mm -hmm. She is now a surgeon, um, but neither one of us had jobs, and this was pre-cell phone. So we sat on the couch all day long waiting for the phone to ring right. <laughs> for maybe somebody to call us back about one of our resumes that we had out there. Uh huh. So <laughs> I tell that story because there is hope if you were sitting on a couch right now waiting for someone to call you. So then I got a job as a scientific consultant. I worked super hard. They paid for grad school. So so then I went to Johns Hopkins for my master's of public health, and I did that for two and a half years from 6 to 10 every night and 9 to 1 on Saturdays. So while you were working. While I was working. And I will say, to put a little bit of a pause, that is totally an opportunity. I don't know that people take advantage of the training support that they can get from employers. Exactly, because this was a while ago, but I think they spent over $40,000 in two and a half years, mm -hmm. and I didn't have that money. Right, right, right. And so that was, you know, it doesn't always happen like that, but to get that job, I was doing data entry. I was doing, like, whatever. That's what, because sometimes I have people tell me, like, oh, that's not part of my job, or I don't want to get the coffee for that meeting. My thought is you just get in the room, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like you bring the coffee and the respect will come, but you got to get in the room first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, I will say it doesn't work that way for everybody, right? True. Because everybody is not as connected. So let's just be real. In a lot of the rooms I've been in is because I was in business before I went back for my public health training. And I did that training in the 80s. And no matter how good I would have been as a black woman, I was not represented in that room. And so no matter how good I was, that wasn't necessarily going to happen. You never know where opportunities are going to come from, right? right? It could be the simplest, smallest thing right. that can get you to the next level. But I do want to be real. <laughs> you know that it doesn't always happen through no fault of your own, right? It can be other larger dynamics that are happening a hundred percent and that's not my experience other other things come with that too. I was gonna say, well, that's, and that's fine take yeah. advantage you know yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly so that was my experience so then I was able to get this master's of public health and oh they didn't let me in at first either by the way so I said 
I called up the office and said, hey, my employer is going to pay for me. Can I just take one class? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, yeah, but what's one class going to do for you? I said, just if I do well, let me take a second class. So I took four classes that way, not as an enrolled student. I got A's in all of them. There you go. And then they let me into the master's program. Right, that's program. right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't lead with that story. But now, now I can say it, right? Yeah, thanks for sharing. Because, again, <laughs> yeah. there are so many different paths to the end goal. And that also connects to opportunity for people to, to take um, certificate programs, for example, yes. right? So a certificate program has the advantage of you being able to get credit for the classes. You And, for example, there are certificates in public health or health equity. You take three or four or five classes like you were doing. You can try them out, see if public health is really what you want to focus on. You actually get credit that can transfer into the degree. Um, and it's a, a lower cost barrier than a full degree program if you're still in that transition period, trying to figure out what you're going to do or gathering resources, for example. Right. You get to try it on and see if it fits. Right. So that's a great yeah. strategic approach. Right. Right. So then I finished my master's of public health and I went back to work and I was working at this consulting firm and I figured, oh, I have a fancy degree from a fancy university. My my academic career is done. This is all I need. And wouldn't you know, the next thing I did, the person with the PhD got to put their name in front of mine because mm -hmm. they had a PhD mm -hmm. and I was doing all the work. And I thought, okay, I'm fine with that right now. But at 50, what am I going to feel like when someone, and also they didn't know, it wasn't just that they were getting all the prestige. They didn't actually know what was in the report right and so i just thought hmm i'm just gonna go get one of those phds because i don't want to be in this situation so i was so then i just in a meeting asked people where the best places to go for what i wanted to do and it was nutritional epidemiology is what or actually just nutrition is what i thought at that point mm -hmm. um, because i was working in this consulting firm doing food safety so like if a company wanted to fortify macaroni and cheese with vitamin A, is it safe? That was the kind of work I was okay, doing. Okay. So that's why I went back for nutrition that way. And I was just going to get in and out as fast as I could. And I loved UNC. I liked the weather. It was close to home. Mm -hmm. And so I went to UNC. And then I got there. It was just such a fantastic program. And I loved the puzzle of epidemiology. I loved trying to find epidemiology as the science of uh, determinant and determinants and another D for the determinants of disease. And so just trying to figure out now people know what epidemiology is after COVID. Well, they do a lot more. Right. <laughs> and it's also about looking at the trends, like the prevalence and incidence of disease, the trends, what's happening in communities. A hundred percent. And that's what I loved, the puzzle. And so I thought I was going to come in and just come out. But then I really got interested in the puzzle of cancer. Mm. And I found out that one in three people in their lifetime will be diagnosed with cancer. And I thought, well, this is something that I can really make an impact on and really be interested in the day-to-day -day questions, mm -hmm. um, that's what I find, that you need to like your day-to-day -day life and your day-to-day -day questions. It's not enough just to be motivated by the end goal because there are a lot of days before you get to that end goal. Right, right. So let me say that again. It can be inspirational, motivational if you link 
what's happening in your life or your passions to that work focus as well. Because getting a PhD, yes. you guys, is not a trivial decision. It's not a trivial commitment. It takes a long time. It's It can be well worth it because of the skills that you develop to be able to answer questions and generate knowledge and research and everything. And one of the things about public health as a field is that there is the expectation that it's translated into day-to-day -day life or helping people. And so when you make those personal connections, when you match your skills and passion and interests with the work and training that you're doing, it's easier. And then also you're probably going to make it a little bit further because it's all linked together. Yes, I couldn't have said it any better. And I should say that when I decided to go get a PhD, so I make it kind of sound nonchalant that I just decided to go get it. That's not true. I did react pretty quickly and actually because they did not give me a good bonus. I did all this work and oh, they thought, mm -hmm. oh my, we just paid for $40,000. Right. And I thought, well, I'm still doing all this work. And they gave me a very meager bonus and I'm so grateful they did because I might have stayed and just been really comfortable. Right. And so that was probably my ego, probably my pride. And then once I really started looking at the PhD. I thought, okay, here is some opportunity. Right. And I actually talked to a good friend of mine from high school who I ran into at Jazz Fest in New Orleans. He was getting a PhD at Tulane. I said, I think I'm going to go get a PhD, thinking he was going to say, great, me too. This is, you know, we're, we're at PhD club together. Uh -huh. He instead tried to talk me out of it. And he was, said, you're not going to make more money tell me why you need this degree. Mm -hmm. He really tried to talk me out of it. And at the end, he did not talk me out of it. And he said, okay, fine, you can get one. He said, but if I could have talked you out of it, you shouldn't do it because it's a huge well, commitment. That's exactly right. That's right. And it doesn't always turn into more money. That's the other right, thing. Right. Because, I mean, again, people I think who focus on epidemiology and nutrition are about helping people and solving the problems. So it may or may yep. not. So how are you using this PhD now in the work that you're doing? So Yes. So I um, epidemiology really, I think, is a tool. It is a field, but it's really a tool of how to logically, linearly describe a problem, start to dissect which pieces are, are really causing something, how do they interrelate, what, if you did a study that said people who carry matches in their pocket, you would find that they have more lung cancer. Mm -hmm. But it's not the matches. Right, it's that right. they're using those matches to smoke. Mm -hmm. And so trying to figure those kind of puzzles out. So you're an investigator. I'm I mean, I know that's a technical term, but really yes. you're trying to, you're out there sleuthing and trying to yes. not what's happening. Yes. Yes, that's exactly. So I use those skills all day long to decide, is this a good project? Are they thinking about things in the right way? Have they considered the full picture? And I take that logic and just break it down. Mm. And I actually, I went from looking at, I, my dissertation was on um, differences in blood levels of stress and um, nutrition, the antioxidant nutrients that the things that make um, vegetables and fruits their color okay I, and she had to say that because I'm frowning whoa okay 
All right. Okay. I'm there. Right. No. And this is, you know, more than 20 years ago. So I, I'm, I'm practicing my words again. But to see if it was different in healthy African American and white, different, to see if it was different between healthy African Americans and healthy white people in the North Carolina region, they were, I think, 20 to 45 years of age. Okay. So none of them had cancer yet because we know African Americans have a higher, unfortunately, they tend to get more cancer and, even in the cancers that the incidence or new mm-hmm. cases mm-hmm. isn't as high, the mortality dying from cancer is higher. Right. So we're trying to figure out where along that line we can intervene. And so that's what I did. I recruited people all over the area. Um, it was a really small study and it was really hard. Mm-hmm. And I have taken that lesson, spoiler alert, there wasn't that much difference in the healthy people. Um, and actually African-Americans in this study, it was a very small study, mm-hmm. had lower rates of oxidative stress. And so- Interesting, interesting. right, so where do we go from there, right? right. Right. And You're so maybe it's not the right marker. And this isn't, this was oxidative stress. Right, so stress right. on your DNA, it's not saying psych, uh, sociologic stress or right. stressors right. because we know that's not true. Right. That's right. The evidence is, you know, quite right. the opposite. Mm-hmm. But so mm-hmm. that's why I say maybe this was a faulty study. <laughs> this was a long time ago. It's a really small study. Sure. And well, and, and sometimes too, the, I mean, sometimes you have to rule things out, right, mm-hmm. to get closer to the answer, especially with co- because these questions are so complex. Right. I mean, these dynamics are really complex. So. Right. And that is that is the fun of it for me. I could spend a whole hour telling you why I think I got those results. Mm-hmm. And I think that, no, I don't think there's any process in your body that's all good or all bad. And oxidative stress actually goes up when you exercise. Okay. Which is, we know exercise is good for you. And it's because now the stress in your cells are actually busting through the bad things. Okay. So okay. you're breaking cell membranes of bad things. So like tumor cells. So that's like the fun. I could geek out all day long. Yes. Okay. But that's okay. what I like. And so that's how I'm using it. <laughs> nice. So... And you're a consultant too. I just wanted to put out there, right? The Back in about the day, the way, okay. So not in your current role. In my current role, I'm the scientific director. I work full time. Right. I. But over- I mean, in terms of if you're working with grantees, mm-hmm. right? You're providing advice and support. I am, but for free. All <laughs> my all my good ideas just go to the benefit of science. So a lot of times I will talk to people who have put in. We have a peer review process. Mm-hmm. So um, invest faculty who are doing their own scientific work. They'll they will be called principal inv- investigators or PIs. I might call them investigators. Um, but these people who are suggesting to do a study, they'll call me and talk and they'll say, "Is this in the scope? Is this something that?" American Cancer Society now, or in the last 16 years, something the National Cancer Institute mm-hmm. is interested in. Mm-hmm. And so I'll let them know if it's in our program or not. And then sometimes they'll shoot me ideas and say, hey, I'm interested to look at this. And so just because I've been reading so many of these things, I've been working in it for so long, I'll tell them, you know, I think you might be missing this piece. Mm-hmm. You consider it. And then they write an application, and it goes through peer review. So we have independent peers, scientific investigators who will read it, and they score it. And then we'll take the best scored, and we'll fund those grants. And then once they find out what the reviewers say, they'll call me back and say, this seems totally off base. What do you think? Mm, Or they'll say, hey, how do I address this? Mm -hmm. And so I do give them advice, but 
not I I'm never on the papers. Sure. I'm right, just right. helping them as I can. Right. And so for one thing for our listeners is again, so you have a PhD and you are trained in epidemiology and nutrition. And one of the ways that you use that degree is in a as a consultant, really, I'm just mm-hmm. sort of putting some language around it that people might be a little more familiar with. Sure. In other words, you're working with other folks and helping to facilitate what they're doing. And yes. so that's something else that one can do. with the, You don't have to teach just because you have a PhD. You don't have to do research directly. You can support research infrastructure or people who are doing research, for example. A hundred percent. And that's why that's kind of why I balked a bit at consultant because my husband's a consultant. Okay. But my husband's a con- consultant that gets paid by the hour for having him to come in. And, and so it's different. But they're so there. You are only limited by the things you explore. And there are so many ways to use public health degrees. Yeah, that's I right. Mean, so you can be in business, you can be in health promotion, you can be in a laboratory, focus on environmental sciences or nutrition, mm-hmm. biochemistry, yep. focusing on that directly, policy development, advocacy and politics, et cetera, et cetera. Right. <laughs> and then the people doing the work. Once you're taking all of this information we've learned in the lab or in studies, now how does it matter to people? And there's this great Hopkins biologist, uh, Bert Vogelstein, who I heard speak, and he's like a, a big wig in cancer. And he said, we've cured, we've cured cancer in mice so many times over because we've had these animal okay, models. Excuse me? Yes. We've, he, so he said, I've heard him speak, and he said, we've cured cancer in mice. Mm-hmm. So why can't we take those cures and put them in people? Mm-hmm. And it's because we're not just mice Mm -hmm. right there's something different you can't you can't control all the aspects around people right so when we take these great ideas that come from science someone has to figure out gosh there is a treatment available but people can't get to the clinic because they have kids and jobs or their car doesn't work Mm -hmm. or they can't afford it because Sorry, I don't know how political you get, but because we don't have national health care, okay. <laughs> insurance. Um, but those are the real things that mice don't have to fight in right, studies right. that people have to. Right. So again, as we have mentioned before, our social determinants of health, social economic circumstances, the environment that you live in, the access to health care, the knowledge that you have about what you could be doing or should be doing and related to your health, et cetera. Yes. So mice and don't have to deal with all that. No, they don't. And that's where your, I'm speaking to everyone, your your lived experience is what you bring every day. And you know, gosh, when my mom was going through this, she had trouble figuring out where to park. I don't think my inquisitive puzzle mind is putting parking into the model that mm-hmm. I'm studying mm-hmm. when I'm designing these big studies so that's why we need everyone yes we need the person who says i've talked to people and they actually they're willing to get on a clinical trial but nobody's asked them to get on a clinical trial right and i'll say so one of my uh relatively new roles is with the uh, school of public health is being built between odu evms and norfolk state a joint school of public health and one of my new roles is community engagement and outreach and because public health we need to have centered community engaged research 
so that even if it is clinical, you have people with lived experiences who are informing the bigger projects. And then we also need people who are trained in some of these other factors, even if they're in housing or transportation, to all work together. So social workers, sociologists, our public health trained people, we all need to be on team research teams to ensure that all of these factors are interconnected even when it's connected to the clinical. 100%. And I love puzzles. And there's no one puzzle piece that is more important than the other. Right, right. And if you lose one of them, you don't have a full you puzzle. You can't complete the, the picture. So I'm going to go back to something that you said really early on. You yes. mentioned Virginia Beach. Please tell us how you're connected to Hampton Roads. I grew up here, and I love this area. I um, moved here when I was five years old. From um, My father was in um, the FBI, and they usually move around. And when we got here, they loved it, and they stayed. And um, so I wasn't born here, but I feel I, I, I don't remember you can anything. Still be from here. Okay, okay, I'm from here. I think no, I'm not from I'm here. Taking but I'm taking it. Just saying it anyway. Okay, okay, okay. I shouldn't even start with the disclaimer. I'm from Virginia Beach. I grew up here. Actually, my kids. I have a ten year old and an eight year old, and they go to the same elementary school that I went to. Oh, that's amazing. Right. That's awesome. And so I left for gosh. 20 plus years, 25 years. And I've just moved back in COVID because I was homeschooling kids, working full time. Mm -hmm. And I missed my parents Mm -hmm. and I missed some help. And it's hard getting it all done. And I miss the water. And I do not miss the traffic of Northern Virginia, DC, (laughs) Maryland. Um, So that's when I came back. And, um, And I've always stayed close. You know, it's a, it's always my first place to return to. Mm-hmm. But coming back, this place, you know, I know it's been 30 years, but it's a really different, more vibrant, more diverse area than I remember growing up in. And I have just been really excited to be back and see things like Norfolk State and EVMS and ODU coming together with the School of Public Health mm-hmm. and the and maybe I just wasn't looking before, but I feel like community engagement is finally getting all the um, the right emphasis and understanding how we all fit together. And that's a great way, I think, to close out the session. Thank you so much for joining me for this. It was amazing to be reminded of your story and our early connection. And it's also, I think, amazing that we have experts and researchers um, who are focused on the analytical and the data and working with organizations like the American Cancer Society who are, again, your roots are here. So it's wonderful to have that tied together and focused on um, supporting communities in this area. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. And thanks to you for listening. Again, I am Dr. Felicia Mebbin, and this is Health, Healing, and Hampton Roads.